Hi everyone, and welcome to the RegTech Report, your update on all things RegTech. My name is Carl Viertel, and with me is Stefan Celestio. Our mission is to bring you the latest news, speak with industry pioneers, and news about the latest tech. And we're back with the third episode of the RegTech Report. Today, we're focusing on the tech part of RegTech. We're first going to talk about some of the big trends in technology that is leveraging, uh, that uh, reg techs are leveraging. We're going to be talking about machine learning. And, of course, we're going to talk about the news and our top three, the new segment we introduced in our last podcast. Now, with me today, uh, very happy to have Manuel Rael, our CTO. Uh, we go way back. We went to uni together. Uh, Manuel's been a techie for a long, long time. And uh, welcome uh, to the RegTech Report, Manuel. And uh, maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into tech. Definitely, Carl. So, actually, I started off with tech in the 90s. Sounds very early. But in, and lots of things have changed in the meantime. And um, today I'm really happy to share some ideas, um, strategy we applied at our solution at Align. And um, basically, we will definitely go through cloud computing, machine learning and other buzzwords you might hear from all over the place. Excellent. Now, one thing we like to talk about or reminisce when we sort of uh, talk about the early days of Align is how a line is really only possible because uh, of the tech that we have available to us today. Um, so what do you think are the really key drivers that led to reg tech um, actually existing? Uh, Carl, I have a very, very boring answer to this because I think my first point on this is uh, cloud computing as such. So leveraging cloud computing um, really drives down all the efforts you typically spend on infrastructure, on setting up bare metal, on setting up servers, installing software, uh, even more patching software, keeping up to date with security updates and all the lot. This is all basically taken away uh, by new platform systems, platform as a services, infrastructures as a services. And it's not only about Amazon or Azure or Google Cloud. It's also the whole ecosystem of other software as a service offerings that we are sitting on, like sh sitting on the shoulders of giants or even not so much giants, but still um, very, very professional services we can base on. I mean, one thing that really blew me away is, uh, as uh, of course, you set up an amazing infrastructure where essentially on my phone uh, through integrations to Slack, I get a notification as soon as any of our multiple services we use just sneezes. I know immediately. Right now, if I think back to the uh, start of my career, you know, say if I were um, writing a proposal back in the day for Accenture to say, uh, you know, we're going to set up a uh, platform that has 100% availability over a year um, with real-time notifications over multiple channels to all executives, um, then we probably would have been, been talking double-digit millions uh, to get that in place. And we started out with a, a tech budget per month of about $100. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, um, we completely do um, the opposite what enterprise businesses did some decades or even some years ago. And we uh, leverage lots of automation in shipping features on a daily basis, not an modern half-year basis. And that um, complete avoidance of having big bang uh, go lives uh, not only reduces ri risk, but also ships features faster 
and also at the end then uh, maintains a much better uptime for our customers. And, and I mean, that's essentially creating a democratization across uh, the reg tech industry, right? I mean, people who, I mean, I guess we're a great example, right? People like us who know the business problem, who've seen those problems happen in real life, can leverage technology, not focus on patching, not focus on, on screwing in bare metal into a, into a rack in a server room, but actually focus on solving the business problem through tech. And I, th- I think that's a, a real powerful driver behind what today is the reg tech industry. Oh. Absolutely, Carl. So all my developers are working on actual features, not on maintaining uh, software or platforms. And that's such a good driver because our developers also understand the business problems of our customers well now. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite part of Align's tech stack where you say this is this is like the coolest thing that we have right now? So I have two candidates, actually. The first one is, of course, our machine learning capability, <clears throat> where we understand with natural language processing what the standard, what the regulation means, and make it available to all our features in the platform. But currently, my favorite is more the serverless part. So serverless is a fairly new trend out for some years, and it was definitely used in lots of pizza delivery services, definitely. <laughs> but I also see lots of adoption now in the enterprise um, B2B market. And our example is um, where we leverage serverless the most is Align Extend. Align Extend is the new integration platform where we integrate with customers' databases, inventories, um, IT asset inventories, and make data available through a bi-directional channel. That means we can leverage all the information a customer has and make it available in the line and combine it with features. And um, in the past, and most likely like we learned it uh, at university, uh, we first define an interface that both parties like our customer and the line shares and then we implement on both sides. And this is basically what makes enterprise integration so lengthy, so costly and so risky. Uh, we did completely the opposite. We just adapt to the customer's interfaces, keep them as they are, and apply serverless functions that basically are working like translation engines. They translate what the customer speaks technically into something that our Align API understands. And never, whenever they speak a different dialect, we adapt, and the customer does not adapt. And of course, the scalability is just incredible. Obviously, yes. we're not even we're not scaling uh, we're not scaling hardware. We're not even even scaling virtual machines. We're literally scaling the function. Yeah, that's the core essence of a serverless. There's no infrastructure at all to be seen by us, to be managed by us, and it's not a problem to scale to thousands of function calls per second. That's not a problem, and it's also independently scaling from other other parts of our application. And of course, if you think of uh, integrations uh, with traditional enterprise software, we're talking about months. Uh, how long? What was the elapsed time for you guys to build the entire Align Extend infrastructure? So the basic setup was actually done in four weeks, <laughs> um, and then customer-specific sp- parts come in. So one example is a customer for us um, says, "Please make this data available via an API." Okay. Alinex can extend can do this, but the customer says also, when updating these objects, please send the file 11 p.m. every day, only once. 
That means one-way reading, a completely different way of updating records and objects. And this is only possible via serverless functions, actually. You cannot define an interface and maintain it. Now, if we abstract a little bit and talk about like a general SaaS business, what's the magic combination for a tech stack? What, what do you have to have in place today? Actually, in the B2B world, you actually have to have basic setup already running and maintained, like single sign-on, different authentication methods. This was like a fancy thing in the past, but now it's absolutely commodity. You have to have it. Um, on top of it, there are lots of flavors where, where you can choose database technologies, cloud stacks, cloud providers. But I think currently it's really um, essential that you pick the right databases up front. And also that Even more than uh, the actual cloud provider? Actually, yes. Okay. So um, where AWS is still leading the pack, Google catched up um, definitely, and also Azure is gaining some traction now. And they have almost interchangeable um, offerings now. They sometimes even have the same names. Um, but um, in the past, typically, you, you just chose Oracle's SQL databases and try to um, implement every feature based on this SQL database. And this poor database, of, of course, had to suffer a lot. <laughs> yes. And nowadays, you can use specialized databases for different use cases where they're best at. And of course, a commodity, it's a click rather than uh, getting hordes of uh, SQL database experts and Oracle experts to tweak it for exactly your use case. Yeah, exactly. And the whole ease of use of those, those databases unleashes lots of power of your people as well. So if a developer doesn't have to spend pages and pages of pages to, to um, craft a SQL database query, but rather can use native functions, it's much easier, much more predictable, and also much more stable. So uh, many years ago, you and I uh, learned coding, uh, writing stuff like enterprise Java beans and whatnot. Um, obviously, that's, uh, that era is long gone. So uh, what have you found are the best ways for a CTO to keep current and just be on top of what's happening in tech? Actually, I'm reading around 10 to 12 Medium articles per day. So I'm reading a lot and also contributing to it. The second thing is um, also going to conferences and meetups. Here in Munich, we have a great community of tech meetups. We also What's the best one? Where, like, If you're only going to one conference as a, a SaaS CTO, where do you go? Um, the AWS ones. There are different formats, but actually the last one in Berlin was awesome. Um, not only the talks, but also the guest speakers are awesome. So you can see awesome talks from the Netflix CTO when they scale up to billions of movies streamed at the time. So this is really, really uh, making the pace there. <laughs> Ironically, we also even got uh, a number of uh, sales leads uh, from going to a tech conference. So um, as head of sales for a line, I'm happy too. <laughs> yeah, that, that's also surprising. So you might find people under disguise and then they talk, then you talk to them and you find out, ah, these are big corporates. They're interested. They're listening. They are adopting. So this is also a great source for sales, definitely. Cool. Now, I have one sort of controver uh, controversial question to close out the segment. And uh, I'm not sure on my personal opinion on this, um, but I'm drawing a parallel to outsourcing. Now, 
let's say about 15 years ago, there was a massive, massive trend to outsource everything, right? Um, you know, companies like Accenture um, grew to enormous scale by outsourcing. And I think today the trend is reversing a little bit in that people are saying, well, actually, my retained organization needs to be more capable. Now, Today, I'd say we're probably still on the uh, increasing momentum of cloud outsourcing, so to speak. So moving everything into the cloud. Do you think in 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to see uh, or we're going to see companies saying, well, actually, we probably went to put too much into the cloud. Um, we need to have more in our data centers. Or do you think the uh, corporate data center is a thing of the past? I think even the latter. So I think it, go it goes full cloud. Um, and at the end, there might be not much there in on-premises, actually. There might be some super-secret like, state agencies that might keep their things private, but they also will use cloud technology to manage that. What I rather suggest is, or rather believe, is that some overhyped technology within cloud computing are going back to something more moderate, more traditional. So... Not serverless, as we had the example before, can be easily overdone. But just a standard monolith can do even much better, is much more maintainable. So we have to pick your use case wisely. Agreed. Well, I, I think f for me it's clear that uh, reg tech is very much a thing because of tech. And uh, every time we bring in new features, um, I'm absolutely blown away on the capability. And I, I can't wait to see what's uh, in store for us. And we're back with, for the second segment of episode three. Uh, my name is Stefan Solisti. I'm taking over for Carl now in the middle a little bit. Um, and I also wanted to have a conversation with, with Manuel, our CTO, on, on some various uh, further tech topics. And one thing I'm wondering now, uh, to begin with, Manuel, um, you're, you also studied computer science like myself uh, back in the day. So uh, is it safe to say that you have like a 20-year career in computer science, software development, with maybe various um, uh, side gigs. <laughs> yeah, that's, Stefan, that's very, very true. So I started off in the 90s um, designing web pages, and uh, then from then on, uh, lots of development happened, not only in technology, but also in the methodologies, mm. actually. And, I mean, that's what I'm wondering about, because my, my first couple of projects are also back in, in university. I, I did some programming also <laughs> here and there, but I mean, not really uh, much afterwards. Uh, and I do remember the, the old style, like with Java and everything. So uh, a lot has changed, I assume, in the, in the last years. And I was, I would just be interested to learn what, in your view, are the biggest changes you have from back then to how you build software nowadays in an, an enterprise context. So one big change is I don't like the buzzword as such, but agile is still a thing. So instead of doing the waterfall model, we also learned in university and also applied in our early years at Accenture, definitely. Um, Some people are still doing it nowadays, I guess. Uh, yeah, so. and you might even find pros to it, not only cons. But um, as a rec tech, of course, you have to move faster and have to iterate faster to validate your ideas. And this is a actually the main driver. To me, it's also a much less riskier approach to software development. Instead of having a big bang go live every half a year, you can ship features earlier, test, adapt, and iterate on them. 
And that's one big change on that. From my point of view, this was made possible only by having proper tools around your software development process. So the whole thing of building pipelines, um, automated testing, test coverage tools, shipping tools, all these automates the whole code pipeline for you. And that's the key enabler for agile software development. Mm. Yeah, what I'm always amazed about is that we can really deploy to production um, so efficiently uh, because that's a thing from, from what I remember that was always a big pain in, in, in projects in the past. Yeah, that's definitely um, a game changer. So currently we are not hesitating to um, ship code during the day, even multiple times a day into our production environments, even under full load without any downtime. This is uh, sometimes it feels a little bit magic. That's true. Mm. So, um, looking back uh, or looking now forward into the into the current year, what what do you think will be dominating the news in software development and in the in the different articles that have come out over over the next twelve months? I think I, I I'm constantly seeing three topics. So one is uh, uh, around AI or machine learning. The second one is blockchain, and the third one I always see uh, is serverless computing. So mm -hmm. we we touched some some points on serverless before already with um, the first segment. Um, but definitely AI or machine learning uh, will be a very, very hot topic mm. and definitely will become more and more commodity. Yeah, and I feel like uh, if you talk nowadays to computer science students, they seem to be not doing nothing else than that. No. Yeah, that's definitely true. So um, last year we were sponsoring like the TUM Hackathon mm. uh, here in Munich University and uh, students were given challenges they have to solve by using tech. And each of those teams used machine learning quite natively. So it mm. didn't come to their mind to not use machine learning to solve their tasks. Mm. So this is really in the genes of the new generation of developers and tech people. So I did have some, some courses back in university in around 2003 around with machine learning. So decision trees, um, something like expert systems or uh, even neural networks. I know we, we implemented some. And some people are saying all these, uh, everything we are using now was already there before. But um, um, now it's much more processing power and data. Is that uh, would you subscribe to that as well, or is there really some revolution also in the methodology? I must admit, <coughs> to a big degree, it was already there. That's definitely true. So decision trees, for instance, are still awesome, um, and other things are also still there. The the big gain was the. Um, Yeah, how to say it? It was really um, to scale horizontally, to have the computing power, to have the storage, to gather the data, and then just run just more of it. That's really a key driver mm -hmm. here. And can you then just install the blue blockchain to also um, do some magic? I'm a, I'm a really skeptic about uh, the blockchain as such. Uh, I'm always skeptic about um, solutions in seek for a problem. So there might be definitely use cases coming up. And in the news, you always can see um, big companies, big enterprises now um, developing blockchain projects to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But in most of the cases, they already had quite efficient solutions mm -hmm. to the problem. So I, I would call it exploratory to this point in time. Um, but there might be definitely use cases that are widely. Yeah, I, I guess the, the big visions people have is around what can it change in society um, On a technological perspective, uh, was that like this paper that came out uh, from 
Satoshi Nakamura or what, what this pseudonym is called. Was that something like actually a big invention or is it was it also just an, just an extension of what people were thinking about before? So the whole protocol was clearly something new, but it was to me more a philosophic pro problem or solution to a problem. Um, it still combines existing algorithms, cryptography mm -hmm. measures, but combines it to a new thing. And I think it even works fairly well for cryptocurrencies, but for other things um, like IoT blockchains and other um, areas, I think we still need lots of adoption there. Currently, I feel blockchain is less uh, secure than the uh, traditional applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard some speculation that um, this um, original inventor person or group came actually out from the P2P file sharing world because there's uh, some parallels to how it's implemented. But, well, let's see. Um, maybe um, another question on um, cybersecurity in general because, of course, you're also, also an expert having worked in that field. So one one big hype that um, is in the news or where a lot of vendors are also pushing in is that they're promising, look, there's now a lot of uh, APT, so these advanced persistent threats, some spy agencies, state-level actors really doing very sophisticated attacks and you need to install this box to protect against it. Are we really seeing these uh, these attacks or uh, is that uh, is that just some, some theater? I think they're definitely out there, but um, I think it's, also definitely a niche where only true experts can execute those attacks and these attacks are very very costly so um, even the attackers uh, need to uh, pick their um, targets wisely not to be super inefficient um, but in the overall securities um, schema I probably see more the middle ground or even the low tier attackers as the common players and um, I don't probably see that all the enterprises are st already protected against the low and middle tier attackers mm. yeah uh, remembering back my time as a as a, somebody responsible for security when a vendor tried to sell me this i was also there. thought look look guys i don't even have the basics uh, already like uh, clarified and taken care of so i need to start on a, like a completely different universe um, and that was really keeping me me busy and and awake at night. Yeah. So uh, it, there was a mismatch in like basically what was being offered in the market and, and what, what I needed. And um, I mean, there are, of course, stories of very technically sophisticated uh, attacks like Stuxnet. Uh, I encourage everybody mm -hmm. who hasn't heard about this to kind of read up about it because this is really an interesting um, approach. And this was supposedly a US-Israeli operation to harm the Iranian uh, nuclear program. Uh, extremely sophisticated. But on the other hand, even these, um, a lot of the things we're seeing on a, a state level um, from, uh, I mean, what is typically in the press is something uh, that Russia, China, North Korea are doing because there's no really real reports from our side uh, in quotation yeah. marks. Uh, um, but a lot even still start with very basic spear phishing, getting user passwords because it's more effective. Mm -hmm. uh, it um, is easy to do because the human... Uh, Interaction is the weakest point, and it's very e uh, difficult to detect that something like that is happening. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So I was doing in my past career lots of penetration tests um, mandated by uh, customers and also some so social engineering attacks. And um, it was becoming clear to me over the years that um, 
sometimes it's even much easier to bribe an internal employee in the tech area than to just carry out such a sophisticated attack. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a ballpark number, typically in the Western world, you only need to um, bribe um, the person with the annual salary. And that should be typically enough to get credentials. Yeah. Yeah, and even in the Stuxnet um, story, even though there was a lot of very sophisticated technical parts, one part, I mean, they, um, the Iranians have the so-called air-gapped uh, network where it's not connected to anything else. Yeah, that's typical in high-security situations like in government areas. But uh, supposedly either they had some insider plugging in a USB stick there or they maybe even dropped some in the parking lot uh, like this classical social engineering angle. Yeah, I can definitely um, confirm that these techniques still work. They worked 10 years ago, they work still. Yeah, so in the end, it comes down to the human firewall, isn't it? And how to be, uh, modify that kind of behavior. Yeah, definitely. Not only the internal ones, but also your extended vendor network, your partner business network. Uh, all those people need to be aware, especially when it comes down um, to the new workplace or the new work model, like you're using your iPhones, they may share private and um, your professional life's data. So this is a um, specific need uh, for governance. Well, awesome. Thanks for your thoughts and your time. And uh, looking forward to some continued conversations around this. All right, the news and, of course, our new segment, the top three. Now, I'd actually just like to talk about one story in the news that I uh, read just because it's it's tragic and hilarious all at the same time. So last week, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre um, quoted Prime Minister Scott Morrison that there was a malicious intrusion into the Australian Parliament House that a state actor was suspected. And then, my favourite part, they said, oh, the passwords of the Premier were reset. Now, I don't even know where to start because so much of that is just so wrong. So first of all, um, if there's an intrusion, uh, an intrusion is probably the wrong word if they reset passwords and that was the solution. Step one. Step two, why do these hacks even still make the news given that it happens all the time really? I mean it happened in the German parliament as well. Um, and uh, I guess the third is who do we suspect? Well, first of all, I mean, it, it fits nicely to what I was discussing before with Manuel, because in the end, even if you talk about state level actors, it's so easy to get credentials from somebody by just sending some phishing emails. So it is the normal mode of operations. Um, and yeah, okay, resetting the passwords is maybe one good component of a mitigation action. But on the other hand, it's maybe also around um, awareness and uh, and some other things like multi-factor authentication that they can put in place. Who was it? Who knows? Maybe even just some kid. Or maybe it was China or North Korea. <laughs> it could be the same, actually. Yeah, so actually that was one of the more yeah. interesting parts of the article, that it, the uh, the takeaway is basically, oh, well, all of the things that um, the Australian state is doing to raise awareness, including sort of cybersecurity awareness mm -hmm. from uh, in schools to get people sort of on board, and uh, cybersecurity, of course, and all critical infrastructure um, and their employees, which does make absolute sense. But, I mean, it, it is really actually quite simple things. And, I mean, we've spoken with members of parliament here in Germany um, where we've asked, you know, simple things like, well, obviously you don't only manage your um, Twitter password alone. So um, you have a team that supports your uh, your Twitter handle. So what do you do? Oh, well, of course, we share, um, uh, share one password for Twitter. And, of course, we don't have uh, multi-factor authentication, right? So 
in an environment like that where there's just so little awareness and you know it's these are the absolute basics quite frankly mm. yeah i think the awareness is growing because they they are con like everyone else in the world they've been the target of something like that and uh the victim yeah? so <laughs> they they're really feeling it in on on the end. and i guess, uh, i guess this uh kind of doxing incident here with the politicians and some celebrities here also in Germany from a, from a couple of months ago. Also, again, put that on, in perspective, even though, I mean, again, that was not a big sophisticated technical thing. It's just somebody collecting information um, or yeah, maybe even logging into some email accounts or so. Uh, but they really feel it. They feel it in their heart. <laughs> Agreed. Now I want to go on to the top three. Now, good and bad news. The good news is we have a really cool topic. Um, I'm going to have a lot of fun with it. The bad news is um, Bailey, who's also in the room with us, still has not recorded a jingle. So uh, the intro will be incredibly boring to this. It's just going to be the top three and me saying it. Um, so... This week, Stefan and I would like to do the top three overhyped tech trends. Um, Stefan, what's your number three? So I want to start with the virtual assistants, you know, the Amazon Alexa, Google Home Assistant and so on. And you know me, Carl, I have all these things <laughs> everywhere <laughs> in my apartment. Uh, and I mean, uh, this was a big hype. Yeah, I would Stefan say is such an early adopter that he has accounts even before the product goes live, quite frankly. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, I like trying out these things and I'm, I'm not scared, let's say. Uh, and um, on the one hand, it was a big hype because the manufacturers are pushing this a lot. I uh, bought a lot of these Echo Dots because uh, Amazon was giving them out almost for free. Um, on the other hand, there's some fear around it, around privacy. Yeah, people think, ah, oh, now I have like this, um, uh, I put in like this listening device into my into my home and they know everything I'm saying. And uh, actually, if I have guests, I have to tell them, look, I have this active, do you consent? Yeah. Except for the phone that you have in your pocket that has the yeah. exact same functionality. Yeah, yeah. That's usually what I say then, uh, look, um, can you trust that thing? Not really. Yeah. But people don't think about it this way. They, it just in their mind is in a different category. Okay. Even though technically it is really it is the same. So uh, my uh, place three is people talking about AI. Um, now, yes, there is a concept of artificial intelligence, um, but the way that it's talked about in conferences is, oh, I just bought some AI for my business and this, that, and the other. And then immediately, unavoidably, every panel discussion goes to, oh, well, if AI is driving my car and the driverless car needs to decide between running over a baby or a grandma, how does it decide and we can't do anything? And these discussions are just so useless. They're so pointless. We do not have AI. We have some aspects of machine learning. There are some cutting-edge companies that do have some uh, general machine learning. Everything that is in production today is very specific machine learning applications such as natural language processing. And so every time I'm in an, at an event, I read a topic where people are talking about AI, I immediately know it's BS, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's being talked a lot. Uh, about a lot, and maybe not a lot of people actually know the details. I think the the um, the percentage of people who actually know tech uh, is growing overall in the population and in business. So um, some people have have relatively good feeling nowadays. But you're right; it's overhyped at the moment. But on the other hand, I do feel personally it feels somehow like a tipping point uh, um, because uh, things are happening, and you see some effects. Uh, and I think that's why the hype is there because somehow people think there is now this kind of hockey stick situation where the 
you know this image like also when you're standing on a train platform and you have the um, some train coming from the distance and it feels like long uh, away that it's uh, still a long way off and it takes it doesn't really get closer and then suddenly it's rushing past the platform and it's gone and somehow it feels like okay this train is really getting close now yeah, fair enough opinion you're number two my number two, uh, I want to connect this actually back to my, my number three because um, I have all these Alexas and everything and uh, mostly I use it to set timers when I'm cooking something. Yeah? Uh, so maybe <laughs> some of that type, how, how can you use it, is maybe not that useful. But on the other hand, when you start connecting it to your other IoT infrastructure, your, like your light switches, whatever, your some of your home automation, then it actually becomes relatively natural to start interacting with this in this way. Like in Star Trek when you tell the computer to <laughs> uh, create your tea or gray hot or whatever. Yeah? So that um, I think in that combination it becomes very smart and interesting um, and I have all of these things <laughs> I have so many IP addresses in my home network with devices that I don't even know and it becomes very hard to secure them because you have almost no control over them even as an expert you often can't really change the settings that well and there's always this lin lingering feeling mm, what are they really doing and I'm not so much uh, concerned about them spying on me, I don't really care, but uh, really, um, are they being used in some botnet uh, to attack some other people on the internet, yeah, like it happened also with... So what's um, your number two? I'm confused. The IoT security. Sorry, ah. I was rambling. Yeah. So that um, it is being talked about more. Uh, there's no good solution for it, uh, in, my, in my view. Um, there are some products coming out that apply some of corporate security, things like monitoring networks and like threat intelligence to home market. Uh, but this is very immature and um, um, we have now really, we have reached a point where there are billions of these devices out there everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so my number two tech trend that is overhyped, uh, very different direction are corporate accelerators and digital departments. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a bit of the easy way out um, for uh, board members or uh, managing directors that say, oh, I want some of that innovation and some of that digital, so I'm just going to buy myself a corporate accelerator and then we'll become digital and then I'm going to hire someone who gets to wear sneakers and uh, therefore we have a digital department. And that is just so far from actually enabling an organization to embrace digital technology, actually changing how the organization works. And so for me, that is just so massively overhyped. And uh, it's actually pretty difficult as a reg tech player um, to uh, actually – distinguish or cut through the uh, growing noise in these uh, uh, accelerator and digital programs. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a uh, learned reaction that if, if I see somebody who has something with digital in their title or some department, then uh, quite sure it's not some not a tech person and a bit overhyped. Um, so I think that is a prerequisite that people should have, that they have this tech experience. On the other hand, um, I guess it's also a combination of mindset because yeah, just they also need to understand the business that they're yeah, supporting yeah, and supposed course. to be making digital. Yeah, I mean that's that's the other side of the coin, right? That uh, the classical IT conundrum was always these uh, these uh, IT tech uh, computer veterans that always complain the business is stupid and they don't know what they're doing. But what they kind of forgot is they maybe they don't didn't really understand also what the business was doing. <laughs> Agreed. Your number one. My number one would be 5G. Yeah, this is all over the news right now with various things happening at the moment with the um, uh, with the auctions going on and people yeah, but promising. See, Donald Trump doesn't even want just 5G, he wants 6G yeah, too. Let's, let's do 10G. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean also if you listen to <laughs> to politicians uh, like Günther Oettinger, the, uh, who used also to have be uh, like a digital commissioner or innovation or something like that. For the European Union. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
what um, what these guys have been given as talking points. Ah, we need 5G, you know, for autonom autonomous driving, for telemedicine and some other things. And some of the, they, they try to create the feeling, ah, this doesn't work um, without it. Um, and for sure, there will be some advantages, yeah, like low latency, high bandwidth connections uh, and all kinds of other technical wizardry but that's somehow it, it, it somehow feels a bit dishonest uh, kind of discussion yeah i'd say the discussion around 5g is mm. certainly moving past the uh, actual advantages of mm. the technology i mean the clear advantages are of course higher speeds of course the ability to combine these micro cells with a much larger cell so you'll have mm. uh, hopefully significantly better uh, coverage of the network um, i always wonder um, is uh, is 5G going to be the breaking point where, for example, no one has fixed base uh, phone lines anymore because yep. you have a cell phone? Yep. Is 5G going to be the point where we don't have um, physical internet connections in our, in our homes and just use the connections in our mobile yeah. phones? Yeah, and that's really where I would place it yeah? because, I mean, we, again, us being early adopters, we kind of already live that, uh, having like these LTE connections with a lot of data. I even have like an unlimited contract now. Um, and you you can you can tell it's often faster and lower latency already than some kind some kind of wired connection. Of course, the problem is right now in the current generation, um, it's a shared medium and has limited capacity. So if everywhere everyone would be doing that, it wouldn't work. So that's what what needs to be prepared. Uh, that really a majority uh, of the population actually goes into this kind of mode. Fair enough. And look, my one number one uh, of uh, overhyped tech trends right now, and I know you guys spoke about it before, is blockchain. Um, I fully share your view. It's a uh, solution looking for a problem. I mean, my litmus test is always, can you use a database? And the answer is in 99% cases, yes. Look, I understand the technical appeal of it. Um, but I mean, the amount of, of, of my uh, LinkedIn feed, the amount of conferences, the amount of people talking about this blockchain uh, versus the amount of actual practical applications where it works and where it provides business benefit is just massively skewed. So for me, the most overhyped tech trend is still blockchain. I mean, yep. happy to be proven wrong and maybe, you know, the same way we see HTTPS in our uh, browsers, we'll see some sort of uh, acronym for some blockchain-based technology in the future, uh, maybe, but... Uh, right now, it is just overhyped by people who sell tickets to conferences. Yeah, and it's maybe maybe too early on that. Yeah, some of the most visionary things that people are throwing around, like getting rid of these intermediaries, central banks or whatever, that's a much more difficult problem to solve than just with a technical solution yeah, because it requires so, so changes on a society level, basically. Yeah? And that's really the... Um, the potential is there with an infrastructure like that. Maybe that that is a change where before the, it it wasn't even theoretically possible, um, but this will take much longer than people anticipate. I think because just there's so many people involved and so many things that are already being done. Outstanding. So those were our top three, and uh, I hope your uh, inner nerd is uh, fully satisfied after this episode of only tech-focused topics. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think we'll have some more business-focused topics coming up on our next couple episodes. Um, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll hear you soon. Thanks for listening. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter. Follow our dedicated podcast handle, at the RegTechRep. Make sure to rate this podcast and send your thoughts and comments to the RegTech Report at Align.com. Once again, that's the RegTech Report at A-L-Y-N-E.com. 
You can also follow Align on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, or catch up on our podcasts on align.com slash the RegTech Report.